Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are with the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my co-host and friend, Mike Perry. Welcome to episode number 49, Mike. Hey, we've got a good one today. Um, I'm really excited to learn from our guest today because she is one of the best in the world when it comes to communication, presentation skills. And this is something that not only coaches can learn from, but uh, anybody that speaks to other human beings could benefit from this podcast. So we are excited to have Jenny Rierick on today's podcast, but I'm going to let you go ahead and, and talk about Jenny's bio because you're so much better at this stuff than I am, Eric. Uh, well, if you finally admitted it. Um, so actually, Jenny was somebody that Mike, when we were putting together our, our, our evolving wish list of guests, Mike uh, put in my ear, he said, we got to get Jenny on at some point. And I was lucky enough to to meet Jenny uh, and her husband, uh, Brennan, at the uh, Perform Better Summit in Orlando. And I said, you know, first thing I got to do is get you lined up. And so we're lucky to have her today. She started out, uh, she told me in the corporate world, um, and she's a presentation skills and uh, trainer and a communication co coach. But now she's turned her focus to the fitness industry. And she founded Fit to Speak, um, where she coaches professionals in being approachable and practical communication, that sort of stuff, uh, speaking and presentation skills. Um, she's also coach and co-owner with her husband, Brandon of Train Smarter and Harder uh, out in California, where they specialize in adult fitness and sports performance. Um, and last but not least, Jenny is also an educator for CFSC, for the uh, Certified Functional Strength Coach Education System. So we're going to have a lot to learn from her, and we're excited to have her. Jenny, welcome. Thank you. Wow, that is an introduction to say the least. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Cool. So, so explain coming from the corporate world, you know, as a communication coach, where did you kind of see the need? in the fitness industry to help trainers and coaches improve their communication skills? I don't think there was one specific moment that I thought, wow, trainers and coaches really need these. It was more of a marriage of two worlds that I was living in. As you mentioned, since, since 2017, I've been coaching communication and presentation skills specifically to corporate professionals, but being a coach and a trainer myself, co-owning a gym with my husband and then educating on the weekends for CFSC, I was seeing a need for coaches and trainers to have the same access to this type of training, speaking skills, communication skills that corporate professionals really take for granted because it's offered to them in many different situations throughout the year. It's paid for by their companies, but I wasn't seeing that that type of coaching and training was being offered in an accessible way to people in the fitness, sport, and health spaces. So because of my 
presence in both the corporate space and the fitness space, I kept finding myself wanting to work more with fitness coaches, trainers, sport coaches, simply because I identify with that group quite a bit. And I felt that I could bring a style of coaching to that realm that wasn't necessarily there. Because as you both know, I'm not the first one to do this type of thing in our industry, but I did feel as though the way I'm doing it could be different and unique and more accessible for coaches and trainers. Absolutely love it. So before we dive into, you know, getting on the stage and when, when we talk about presentation skills, so many people are like, you know, I want to do a TED talk and I want to do this. And, and they think about this grandiose idea of public speaking. Um, but let's talk about the power of good communication for coaches and trainers that just work in a one-on-one -on -one setting, small group, or even just group in group training in general, because I feel like this is something that people miss. They miss the ability to communicate. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I always say that communication is the tool we use to do our jobs. When you think about it, the only way we can be successful in any professional situation we find ourselves in, like you said, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, maybe we're working with a sports team in some sort, if we don't have the ability to articulate all of that hard-earned knowledge we've spent time and money on by taking certifications and getting our CEUs, if we don't have the ability to take that knowledge and articulate it in a way that means something and is clear to the people we're communicating it with, then really it's, it's a dead end. We've wasted a lot of money and time on developing all this knowledge because it can't take us anywhere. When we think about that word articulate, I really like that because we even just going, we know a lot about the body. Our joints are articulated. There's a lot of complex things that have to come together in order for movement to happen. And I think of communication the same way. There are lots of different elements that create the output of our communication. And I don't see us treating each of those elements or giving each of those elements the amount of respect it deserves, like body language the way we vocally express ourselves, how we show up physically as a listener. And even though we are communicating every single day, you can always tell the difference between a good communicator and a poor communicator. They make you feel a certain way. And if you think about it, the people you end up spending a lot of time with willingly, the people you pay money for their services are at the end of the day, the people that make you feel really good in their presence because of their communication skills. When I'm, for lack of a better word, trying to pitch to coaches and trainers why they should invest time and sometimes money into developing their communication or speaking skills, a lot of it is because we're not aware of the impact that a small improvement in our ability to articulate ourselves can make in the quality of the relationships we develop with our clients and athletes, the effectiveness of our coaching. 
our ability to grow within our positions and our jobs, to be respected in the industry that we're in, and eventually, hopefully, to get speaking opportunities if that's something that we want to pursue. So, you know, a big part of of successful coaches in in our industry particularly is is building rapport and creating trust and creating buy-in with our clients. Um, and, you know, anybody can do a quick Google search and, and understand the basics of, you know, creating a rapport and buy-in. But what are some key ways that you think that anybody could be better at that? Yeah, I, I could give you a list. And like you're saying, if you went on YouTube, you read a book, you can find lots of lists telling you exactly what you need to do to build rapport. And it, when I read those, it's not that I disagree with them. But there's, there's a difference between reading something and logically understanding it and then knowing how to put it into practice or even wanting to put it into practice and it not feeling robotic to you. So instead of focusing on the list, what I've come around to doing is focusing more on what is the mindset that you have to be in as a communicator in order for you to build rapport, to gain the trust of your clients and athletes and to create buy-in. And that mindset is to be what I like to call an experience creator, as opposed to an information giver, which is what most of us tend to fall on. So when you go into a scenario, whether that's going to be a staff meeting with the other coaches. You're going to go into a session with your personal training client. You're going to lead a small group session. You want to make your entire focus on how do I create a great experience for this person or these people that I'm going to be communicating with. That, if I go in with that mindset, what that does is it takes me totally out of the realm of communicating in a way that's going to make me comfortable. And instead, I challenge myself to step up to the plate and express myself in my body language, in my voice, in the words I choose to use, specifically to meet the demands or the needs of that person or that moment. So I like to tell people, if you really want to build rapport, if you want to build trust, the number one thing is you have to be an experience creator. You have to prioritize creating a phenomenal experience for the people that are in your presence in that moment. And what you'll find is that all of the things on the list of how to build rapport will naturally happen without you thinking about them so much. You'll probably show a lot more genuine enthusiasm when you see people because you know that's going to make them feel good and you're trying to create a great experience. You'll probably show more genuine interest by asking more open-ended questions and probing people about their lives outside of the gym. You're probably going to be a better listener because you know that people like to be listened to. You will probably focus on giving them information that's actually useful or interesting to them. You'll pay more attention to how they're experiencing you and you'll observe them more with more consciousness and respond to that. And all of those things can come as a result of you simply prioritizing, creating a great experience for other people. I know that was a long-winded answer, 
but I think moving away from just a checklist of behaviors we can use to build rapport, although they probably do work. If you can figure out what's the mindset that results in those things happening naturally or inviting me to bring those things forward, that's a lot easier to put into practice than remembering a list of things to do. So to follow up on that, um, anytime we work with a new client, there's an assessment process, right? If someone comes in and, and yes, you, you look at their, you know, their basic contact information and, and then you do the musculoskeletal stuff. So do you have an assessment process, quote unquote, air quotes, um, when you're looking at someone to see what they need to work on, is there something, or is, do you have something or a sheet or a flow that you follow to be like, well, this person needs to focus on this, 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 and this, because if they already have a skill set and they're already good at a certain thing, you really don't need to fix that thing. You're looking for the opportunity to make them a better speaker. How do you go about sort of analyzing someone's communication skills and finding the best way to help them improve that? Mm -hmm. I've never been asked that question before. That's a, that's a great question. First and foremost, the I'm always looking to them to tell me where they feel like they need to improve or where they feel discomfort in their communication. And what's interesting about that is I've worked with people who will express concern and lack of confidence in certain aspects of their communication, but from a technical standpoint, they're doing great. But that matters. It's the same thing with movement. It's if someone someone might say that they experience pain in a certain movement, but from a mechanical standpoint, there's nothing wrong, but their experience of that is still really important. So if someone comes to work with me and we're trying to identify areas that they could improve on in their communication, we're always going to start with their experience as a communicator. Where do they feel most comfortable? What types of people? are they most comfortable communicating with? What types of people are they least comfortable communicating with? And then also scenarios. When are you most comfortable communicating? What scenarios cause you anxiety or make you feel like you have to portray a certain image when you communicate that's different than who you are in your everyday setting? And from there, that's where we'll start to lean into identifying how can we set you up to feel more confidence and show up in a way that's effective in those scenarios, regardless of their technical abilities. That's first. And that's, that tends to lead us down a path that they see improvements on. But the other side is that yes, in, in speaking, especially if we're working on presentation skills, more formal speaking or presentation skills, there are things that we know about how you can manage your body language, how you can manage your voice, how you can organize your information to have a stronger impact or a more positive effect on being perceived in the way that you want to be perceived. And so when I'm working with people that are pursuing improvement in that more formal speaking space, often it's a more objective checklist of how do you show up when you're in front of an audience? How how do you move around? How do you non-verbally engage with the people you're interacting with through your eye contact and your gestures? What's the pacing like on your speaking? Why is that pace? Why are you using that pace? 
why is your information organized in this way? Where is the logic in it? How do you anticipate people are going to interpret this? So there's a lot of different ways. It's usually dependent on what we're um, working on with someone. But I would say for us everyday folks who aren't maybe doing public speaking, big public speaking events or presentations, the best place for anybody to start is to think, who are the people I'm most comfortable communicating with and what are the scenarios I'm most comfortable in? And then the opposite of that, who are the people I'm least comfortable with? What are the scenarios I'm least comfortable in? And what's the difference between those two things that may be causing that lack of comfort? And that will really help you identify some areas that you can begin to improve on. So Very I want to cool. dive a little deeper into some of those uh, those pieces that you talked about, uh, nonverbal communication and body language and pacing and so forth. But before that, I want to do a follow-up to Mike's follow-up. Um, and so as somebody that that's kind of invested a decent amount of time in, in presentation skills and trying to utilize that, uh, in settings, like when I work with teams quite a bit and trying to create what you said in that experience, but especially in working with teams in, in, in athletics, you want to create that experience, but I don't want to be just that rah-rah guy, right? Yeah. Everybody's, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's, who's a joke on Twitter, who's got this, you know, sleeveless sweatshirt, like just jumping up and down and fist pumping on the sideline. You know what I mean? Um, I, I see my chuckling back there. Um, but, you know, I want to be more of a teacher. Now with that, there's a famous expression, John Wooden said, unless they've learned, you have not taught. And so sometimes I get really kind of frustrated with myself and say, where did I not get the message across when like I'm teaching a sequence for speed development as an example. And I say, all right, guys, remember, what are our three directions of movement? And everybody kind of like freezes and they're like, kind of looking at each other I'm like, wait, we went through this. I thought I gave you a really simple, you know, three-step thing to kind of remember this, but they didn't get it. So how do we use our communication to get people that our end audience, whether it's an individual, whether it's a group, whether it's, you know, a bunch of people that, that are in an audience, how do we, is there ways that we can get them to be better listeners? Yeah, we need to integrate more strategies around checking for understanding, which a lot of us as coaches, logically, it makes sense that we should check for understanding, but we don't, because sometimes that can feel threatening to us as a teacher or a coach. When something that I also say a lot is there's a big difference between getting your information out versus getting your information through. And when we prioritize simply getting information out, we don't take that extra step of checking for understanding. We assume because we said it, people should understand it. Strategies that we can use for checking for understanding are creating more space while we're delivering instruction to stop at each point and check for understanding. The way we can do that is I can call on one of the athletes in the group and I can say, take no more than 20 seconds and tell me in your own words, what did you just hear me say? Or how, how would you explain this to your teammate? If I don't have time for that, I can simply say, what questions can I answer about what I just shared? Even phrasing it like that, as opposed to, do you have any questions, can invite people to say, I'm anticipating, I didn't do a great job explaining, and I want you to ask me questions about that. I can, as as you said, it, when you, you were talking about what are the, the three things and everybody gives you a blank stare, we can cold call on people. 
if they say, I don't know, you can say, well, tell me something you do remember about what I said. And let's start there. We want to be able to communicate something, but then have strategies that we can create some interaction to check for understanding with our clients and athletes after without that feeling like a threat to our ability to teach or to create understanding. Because we we can't always control how people take in or perceive our information. The only way we can do that is to follow up by asking questions about how they understood us. And too many of us shy away from doing that because it feels like a threat to our competence or that it'll undermine our authority in some way. When in reality, teachers, as teachers, we don't want authority. We want understanding. That is much more important than creating some dominant type of image. So I think the problem with the pacing is getting comfortable with that silence, right? You have yeah. to be okay yeah. with that pause and not having to fill every void because you think you're, that's part of your job is filling the, the space and constantly teaching. Um, and then there's other stuff that that I know you get into with avoiding filler words or mm -hmm. using inflection in our voices. Tell us how that can help us deliver a message more clearly. The way I like to teach this specific to your vocal delivery is often many of us speak in ways that make us comfortable. And unfortunately, what makes us comfortable as a speaker is often what also makes us ineffective as a speaker. One of those is speaking in, at a fast pace. Now, when I think of someone speaking at a fast pace, there's really two ways that can present itself. The first is that their actual words are coming out really fast. They're jumbled together. They're difficult to understand. There's no articulation in their words. The other is that there's no space between their individual thoughts and sentences or points. That's often what's true for most people. Instead of leaving space between each point, we use filler words to bridge one thought to the next thought. I have a speak without filler words workshop. I teach almost weekly. It's a 90 minute workshop and the skill I teach in that I call verbal punctuation. And here's how I teach it. I'll, I'll go through it really quick. Eric, tell me if you were to write me an email, would you use punctuation in your writing? Absolutely. Okay. Why? What does that do for me as the reader? It gives you natural breaks and rhythm to the, to the conversation. Yeah. So two things, it conveys structure to me. I know when you've conveyed one point, it's done and you're going to go on to your next point. And the second is that it conveys tone. I'm getting a feeling for the context, the emotional context of the message. We need to do that same thing when we speak. We need to create some type of punctuation in our speaking in order to communicate structure of our message to our listeners and also to help us convey tone. And the easiest way to do that in our speaking is to incorporate pausing into our speaking. Pausing is verbal punctuation. When you're speaking, people are not processing your words in real time. As listeners, we wait until we hear a complete thought or a sentence. Then we have all the information we need to take that in and digest it. If the speaker does not 
momentarily pause at the end or between their thoughts and sentences, like a comma or a period does in our writing, we as a speaker are robbing our listener of the space they need to connect with and digest what we've just told them. A great example of this is watching videos on social media. People do jump cuts on those videos where it's just one thought, a next thought, the next thought, the next thought. I find myself, if I'm interested in the content, I will watch a video six or seven times in order to take in each individual point because they're coming so fast. We, you know, social media, I'm not great at the strategy of social media, but when we think about speaking to our clients, our athletes, our peers, our staff, we need to say, how do I, how do I need to say this so that I'm giving them the space they need to actually connect with and digest and take in what I've just told them so that they can ask questions about it. They can participate. They can remember this. And the easiest way to do that is every time I get to the end of a thought or sentence, I'm going to imagine I've come to a stop sign and I'm going to stop talking for a moment. Is pausing uncomfortable for us as speakers? Yes. What I mean, what's the story we tell ourselves any time we pause when we're speaking? What's going through our head? What are we thinking our listeners think of us? That and we don't, don't know what we're doing. talking about. You're scrambling yeah. for a thought. Yeah. Yeah. We think they think I'm nervous. They think I'm unprepared. This must be super awkward for them because it feels really awkward for me. But that's not their experience. That's our experience as a listener. And unfortunately, we're projecting that onto them. Even in the course of me talking through this right now, I've paused at the end of every thought or sentence I've shared. And you can tell me otherwise, but I bet you are not perceiving me as lacking competence. It doesn't feel awkward to you. It feels thoughtful. It's a habit we need to practice. And what I tell people is, yeah, silence is always going to be uncomfortable for you, but you shouldn't be communicating in ways to make you comfortable anyway. You should be choosing how to communicate so that you are setting your listeners up to be able to connect with, take in, understand the information you're giving them. And that means you need to pause. You're doing it for your listeners. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. And, and now I'm thinking about it. If, if you write an email without punctuation, you come off as a serial killer as well. Um, so um, talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned before, body language um, and the, the impact that that can have on our communication and nonverbal cues and ways we can use body language and little tips that get us to further engage our listeners and uh, and connect with, with whoever we're, we're trying to communicate with. Yeah, our bodies are communicating all of the time. You cannot not communicate. Even if your client or athlete walks in the gym and you're sitting at the front desk on your phone, you haven't engaged with them yet, that's communicating something to them. That's not to say we always need to be hypervigilant, 
about what we're doing all the time because that would be completely exhausting. It's more so appreciating that people are making interpretations of us based on what they see. It's not just the words that we're saying. What's even more important is that anytime there's a disconnect between what your body language is saying and the words that are coming out of your mouth, people are always, always, always going to believe your body language over your words because the, our words are much easier to manipulate than our body language. So if those two things are our body language and our words, if they don't reinforce one another, meaning we're saying one thing, but we're phys physically demonstrating something else. The example I always give is, let's say you're at home and I have an eight-year-old stepdaughter and I walk in the room. Have you ever walked into the room and someone in your family, they just, you get this vibe that they're upset about something and you say, hey, is everything okay or what's wrong? And then they respond, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. Do you believe them? No. No, of course we don't believe them. And it's, that's, it, that's a perfect example is they're saying everything's fine. Their words are saying one thing, but we're unconsciously reading their body language, their energy, their tone of voice. And it's saying something else. We believe their body and their voice over their words. This is why learning about body language is so important. It's not to say that you always want to be controlling everything your body is doing. It's about appreciating that you might be saying one thing, but if people are reading something else, there might be some miscommunication there. And that can cause problems in relationships that can cause problems in the effectiveness of your teaching or your coaching. So when I think about body language, there are really three areas that I focus on. Number one is eye contact. I talk about eye contact a lot because eye contact is the most natural form of connection we have with other people other than touch. Now, I will say this with a caveat that this is not true in all cultures. Okay, especially if you go into Eastern cultures, eye contact is usually frowned upon and it seem, it's seen as disrespectful or it can be. But here in the United States, eye contact is used to show people where our attention is. Eye contact is used to connect with other people. Eye contact, when we see people doing it meaningfully, we usually perceive that person as being confident. We perceive someone who can make sustained eye contact as being competent. We trust them more. Whereas someone who's who lacks the ability to make eye contact or they don't ever really engage with any one person at a time, we trust them less. They come across to us as being nervous. The other body language aspect we can think about is our gestures. Often gestures don't need to be coached. Often what we need to understand is that our hands express meaning to the words that are coming out of our mouth. And they also draw people's attention to us. They communicate messages that our words cannot communicate. Babies gesture before they're able to express themselves through words. If you've ever found yourself at a loss for words, you probably, if you notice, you do something with your hands, you move them around because it helps us find our words. Gestures 
when we allow ourselves, all I tell people is allow yourself to use your hands. Don't put them in your pockets. Don't clasp them together in front of you or put them behind your back because then you're not going to use them. And the main reason why you want to use your gestures is because gestures increase our verbal fluency. We express ourselves more clearly and with less interruptions in our speech when we allow ourselves to gesture because movement precedes cognition. And then the third aspect of body language is what I group together as positioning and movement. When I go and watch a lot of, especially in the fitness or sports industry, coaches like to move around. When we're on the floor, we are moving all the time. That's, there's a, that's a great thing. That's a way we stay engaged with our athletes. That's how we keep our eye on everything. But when we're speaking, when we're standing and delivering information to people, often that's a strategy that creates more distraction than anything. So our movement is having an impact on how people, their ability to listen to us and pay attention. And if we're not thinking about, hey, I videoed myself coaching this session and I noticed that anytime I had the group of athletes or clients together, I was walking around the whole time. Should I question myself on what impact do I think that's having on their ability to listen to me? It's that's it. It's questioning our habits because we all have habits with our body language. It's have you ever stopped to think about the both the positive and the and the negative aspects or impact that those habits are having? Now, Is there anything specific about body language within well, that? Well, I, I have a couple. Being Italian, talking with my hands, I, I can't not talk with my without my hands. So it's 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 in my DNA. Um, but in terms of, uh, I was one thing I was kind of curious about is is your posture and how you can leverage that. And there's there's a book that always stuck out in my head called Somatics by Thomas Hanna, and he talks about uh, red light posture and green light posture. Red light posture being that slumped, like leave me alone type of posture, and green light kind of chest up and and so forth. But as coaches, we have to kind of play that a little bit. Where some we we don't want to have we want to have confidence, but not that as you said earlier, not dominance. We want to also be able to adjust that. I also don't want to have that chest up, tall and proud, you know, type of thing when someone's just telling me that they have some devastating news that they just found out or that they're really going through hard times. You know, how do we adjust to be sensitive to to kind of feeling the temperature of the room or with the person that you're with to adjust accordingly? Yeah, that that's certainly a skill. And some people, I think about it on a spectrum. Some of us are naturally better at perceiving and sensing other people's reactions to us than others. But that's not to say that we all can't get better. The the simple and not so practical answer to that question is we need to be better observers. We need to be paying attention to how, how is this person responding to me? What am I noticing about their body language? Do I notice they're avoiding eye contact with me? Do I notice that they're giving me one word answers? All of those things can tell me that I'm maybe creating an environment in which they don't feel comfortable interacting with me. When people are comfortable interacting with you, you know that because they're ex usually expressing themselves openly. They're not afraid to be in a closer pro physical proximity to you. They're usually less afraid to ask you questions. And if there are people not doing that and you're feeling that there's a disconnect between you and other people, 
you want to start to ask yourself, what might I do in the way I'm showing up right now in this moment to make this person feel more comfortable? And if, as long as you ask yourself that question and you give yourself space to, again, focus on creating a better experience for this person, you'll tend to express the behaviors that will do that without thinking about it so much. I'm aware that I'm giving a somewhat vague and indirect answer, but I, I simply stated, we as coaches need to be master observers and constantly questioning how could I show up to get an even better response from this person that I'm interacting with and, and experiment a little bit with the way we hold ourselves physically, how long we hold eye contact, uh, how many questions we ask them, how physically close we are to them, and just seeing what happens when we experiment with different things. Eric, anything else you want to touch on before I move on? For you. Okay, so it's no coincidence that quite often great leaders are also great communicators. Um, why do you think this is and how can we get better buy-in um, as a leader, right? Whether we're working with a staff of, of employees or a team, et cetera, how can we create better buy-in through our, our ability to communicate? Great communicators rise to leadership positions because they're trusted, they are easy to understand, they've made people want to follow them because they exude a sense of warmth in their presence. So I don't necessarily think that it's leaders are great communicators, it's that great communicators tend to rise into leadership positions. And then secondary to that is when I hear the word leader, to me, that's not that's not only identified by you holding some high title within your organization or on your team, because you can be a leader at any level. It's paying attention to, do people come to me and ask my perspective and opinions on things? Because that would tell me that I am a leader. Do they care about what I think? Do they invite me to participate in important conversations related to the business or their goals or whatever it might be? So whoever's listening to this, you can be a leader without holding a leadership title and communication often puts you in that position amongst your peers, because there are of course also people in leadership positions who are terrible communicators. I think when it comes to wanting to be a leader in whatever capacity that means for you, the number one place to start is to look at how you show up as a listener. We, When we think about communication, we tend to default to the speaking aspect of communication when probably the more important side of communication is our list, our ability to listen. Listening, in my opinion, is the most important communication skill because listening is where you get the information you need to be a more effective communicator. We tend to worry a lot about what we're going to say, but that will, what to say becomes so much easier when you've given yourself permission to simply be present to the person or people that you're interacting with those people when they sh when they see that you're 
you're interested in hearing what they have to say, you're asking questions, you're gathering information, they'll tend to tell you whether indirectly or indirectly what's important to them. And now you have a starting point to know what words to say, what ideas to express that are actually going to connect with them. So in terms of leadership, I think the number one place to start is how do you show up as a listener? Do you, are you someone who prioritizes being the one to share information or do you tend to prioritize gathering information first and letting that determine how you go about communicating from that point on? All right. So now if you're a trainer or coach and you're listening and, and you want to make that leap into doing education, whether that's in the uh, the front of the room in a fitness conference, whether it's doing your, as Mike said, at the Ted talk, or you want to come up with your own content and go out and teach that. What advice do you give that individual in terms of getting started and finding those opportunities and then kind of making the most of them? I think the easiest place to start, and I'm, I'm hoping you two agree is to start writing. Writing is the best activity you can do to begin to understand what it is you think. If you can express yourself in writing, you can express your knowledge, your ideas, your skills, all your experience in writing, it becomes much easier to talk about it when you have the opportunity to do so. Now, with social media, lots of us are producing content but it's this short form, highly edited content. And the both of you know, when you speak in a more formal scenario, there's no editing that can happen. <laughs> that is that is a great deal of planning and preparation and practice that goes into performing well in front of a group of people in a formal environment. So I find that there are a lot of people right now who have a strong presence online, who are getting opportunities to speak and when they do that, they're not doing as well as they thought they would because that environment is so much different than producing and editing content online. The very best speakers are the people that are so intimate with their information that if they're going to talk about it for 60 minutes, they, they know enough about that topic that they could have talked about it for eight hours. And the way we develop that knowledge is to write more about what we know. It's to get more experience coaching and training and reflecting on those experiences. So if anybody's listening to this and they want to get into speaking, you have to put yourself out there. And I think the, the number one most effective way to do that is to start writing and get people exposed to the way you think. And it will also help you better understand what you think so that when you get an opportunity to speak about it, you're much more articulate in doing so. So Mike, before you jump in, there's there's uh, a story I'm thinking about in my head of my own personal experience of, and then I want to ask your your feedback on it, Jenny, is, is about creating your message and your content. Um, early on in my career, I, I uh, had a guy that I'd work with who was a pretty big name in, in, in New York City, and I would have him mentor me and kind of help me out with some content that, that I was a, a workshop that I was going to. It was a certification process, and he had already done it, and it was working me through that, but he was working and kind of mentoring me and some other things. And there was a, a big, one of the big fitness conferences were in town. And I said, why aren't you speaking at this thing? And he said to me, 
something that kind of, I think actually held me back for a lot of years. As you said, I have nothing to say that everybody who's there is not already saying. And so that kind of like put a, put a, uh, you know, uh, an emergency break on for me to say, like, before you really start putting yourself out there, you better really have something unique to say that's not anything like anybody else is saying. And so to develop that message and the confidence that I finally have, that took a long time for me. Um, talk about content and how we can not just be a ripoff of everybody else, but have a con or have a real message that we want to get out there. So we have our own unique brand and identity and so forth. Often I tell people, but just pay attention to, to light bulb moments. When you're reading books, when you're listening to podcasts, when you're interacting with your clients or athletes, I guarantee that multiple times throughout the day, you are having these light bulb moments of, huh, I never thought about it like that. Or no, is that no one's ever asked me that question? Or how would I answer that question? Those are all opportunities for you to start developing your own unique perspective on things. And I don't think enough of us are leveraging or leaning into those moments of natural insight, because that's often what's when we have that natural inclination to dig deeper into something, that's what's going to lead us to a path where we develop our own unique perspective about something. So now is a really great time for anybody that wants to be a speaker because you can post stuff on social media every single day talking about what you know, and it's a really safe, low risk place to do so. Whereas like Mike, when you think about however many years ago, if you wanted to speak at a conference, most people, the only way they were getting there was by writing, writing and getting exposure through writing and just talking to people, but they weren't getting a lot of everyday speaking experience, which now we are, we can post videos of ourselves talking all the time. Eric, my response then is twofold. It's lean into the light bulb moments, pay attention to when you feel those sparks throughout the day of curiosity and ask yourself, how can I take this and say something about it or learn about it and develop my own perspective? And then secondly, it's what are some low risk areas I can get into now to start sharing what it is I know, my experience, my perspective on this. Maybe that's me leading a weekly educational workshop for my clients that I record on a webinar and I give to them things that'll at least just start, start to challenge me to articulate what it is I know. And over time and experience that will become more unique to you. I love that. And, and a little uh, tidbit for, for people out there. And I've actually, it's funny because I've actually done that. And the tip that I have is I have this cheap little notepad. Um, it's a little staples notepad that I have with me at all times. And every time I get that light bulb, it's just, and whether it's at a red light or in a session, I'm just scratching down that thought. And that's how I get all my social media content. That's how a lot of our course content came together was just, Hey, I just taught this. And you know what? I, that really resonated with my client or I just taught this. And this is probably something a lot of people would want to know and wrote that down. And that's, that's basically how our courses came together. That's how our content came together. So that, you know, cheap little $2 yeah. notepad has, has been worth gold for me. Yeah. For me, something that I do is every single thing I take in, regardless of whether it's specific to communication or not, the question I always ask is 
what does this have to do with communication? I, everything I, every podcast I listen to, the interactions I have with random people, the books I read, even if it's a book about, I'm reading a book on how to parent in a digital age. I'm constantly filtering everything through the lens of how can I use this to better teach communication? And when you have that lens on it, maybe it's how do I use this to make me a better coach? How do I use this to explain something to my athletes or my clients? You will find seemingly random things that you can start to integrate into your content, into your teaching style that now make you very unique in what you do. So I'm going to add a couple things from my own experience and then we'll, we'll get to another question. So I was fortunate enough to have individuals like Eric, um, Brett Jones, uh, Diane Bivies, who's just all these amazing individuals that helped me become, um, a somewhat better speaker. I feel like I still need a lot of work, but, um, I was fortunate because when I, when I first started teaching for, for FMS, I was an assistant and as an assistant, you have to go to speaker school and you either pass or fail speaker school, which basically means they bring you on as an assistant. And then hopefully if you do a decent enough job, you, you can become a lead instructor. But throughout that time, I had people like Eric, Brett, Diane, um, helping me and, and, and basically giving me feedback on my ability to communicate. And I tell you what, when you think you're good at something, and then there's a bunch of people that are one way better than you, but also they give you honest feedback at first, it can be it could be hard to manage because you think you're good at something and then you come to find out maybe I'm not that good. And there's a bunch of people that I can really learn from. Um, I think that's so important to have a coach or a mentor to give you the honest feedback to make you better. Because if not, um, you know, you're just going to be in your own echo chamber. And according to you, you're going to be fantastic at everything. Yeah. So I would say, you know, hiring a coach and, and having a mentor in that realm is so, so important because, um, for me, it was it was making changes and and doing things I didn't even know what I was doing. So that would be one thing. And another thing that helped me uh, just drastically was I wanted to become a better speaker, and I knew that social media and just doing edited clips was not the the answer mm -hmm. for me. So mm -hmm. what I did is every Wednesday at noon for one year, I did a live teaching where I couldn't edit. I couldn't do anything. I went on Facebook live and I just did a live teaching of something every day, every Wednesday for one year. So I figured, you know what, that would give me an opportunity to speak, to be in front of the camera. I can't edit it. I can't, I mean, I could technically delete it, but it was me putting content out there and I would watch it after and go, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Yeah. Or I perhaps could have said that better. So for me, it was an opportunity to be live and to speak in front of individuals in an unedited way. So that was something that for me was, was super helpful. So those are two little tips that, you know, potentially could be beneficial for other people if they haven't thought of it that way. So I wanted to add that in there. But um, when you, Jenny, go to a workshop or a conference, um, and, and you touched on this a little bit, what are the traits and or the behaviors of the really, really good presenters and the really, really good performers and perhaps the others? First and foremost, it's the people that are comfortable with themselves. As an example, I was just at where I met Eric at Perform Better in Orlando. When you watch someone like Dan John talk, you 
Dan John has complete confidence in who he has, who he is as a person that he makes you feel so comfortable sitting there listening to him because you know, there's no part of him that's thinking about creating some type of image for himself. Instead, because he's so comfortable with himself, you almost, he almost takes himself out out of it. And it's all about what he's saying and the experience that we're having with him. So although that's not something tangible per se, the best speakers are the people are the ones that are at a place in their lives. And it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, older to be at this place in your life, but they have complete confidence and they trust that they, they deserve to be up there in front of people. They have something worthy of sharing what they know. The other thing that really stands out to me about the top performers when you go to more formal speaking is they tend to be unrushed. It's they truly know what is important about what they are saying. And they would rather spend 30 minutes talking about that one thing and making sure everyone gets it. And they do that by supplementing it with stories, examples, sharing personal experiences, giving analogies. They would rather spend 20 minutes creating clarity around one really important thing versus other speakers who will spend 20, sure, 10 ideas in 20 minutes. I think, you know, Mike and Eric, you speaking, you might have had this experience yourself is the more you speak, what you realize is you tend to cut out more every time you get the opportunity to speak. And instead you think about, I would rather spend more time on these these few really important things than spend less time talking about 20 different things. And that comes with experience and it comes with reflection. The other thing I somewhat touched on, but I think it's important to call out in its own right is the best speakers and presenters are ones that back up what they're saying with stories. They have examples to give. They have research to cite. They share personal experiences. They use lots of analogies. All of those tools make it really easy to understand the point that they're trying to get across. Whereas more inexperienced, less effective speakers will often just state facts or opinions, and then they can't, they can't, create substance around it. The analogy that I've used to teach this before is when you think about if you were to cut down a tree and you you do it horizontally, you see the rings of a tree, you you want your information to have lots of rings. You want the idea to be in the center, but then you want to have it supported with lots of different things like stories and examples and analogies because that's what gives it strength. And the best speakers have the ability to do that. It's, I love that you're saying that. And, and, uh, Mike, I don't know if you remember, I, I brought this up with you when we were putting our course together. Um, I was reading, uh, Rick Rubin's latest book called the creative act and what he would tell his artists, you know, when you're coming up with an album, they'd say, okay, give me all your songs. And let's say they came up with 18 or 21 songs. He's like, all right, you need to cut that in half. All right. And then come back to me. And then they come back to him and you say, okay, well, you got to cut it in half again. 
And then you, you got to really pick the, the four or five that matter. And then the rest of them we're going to cut out. And so you really got the best content. And that's how he drew that out of them. And I, as we were making our course, I remember sharing that with, with Mike say like, all right, we got 150 slides, you know, for this, this course, we're going to cut it in half and just hammer these points. And if they only learn these five things by the time they go home, then, then we have to be good with that. And then next, all the other stuff will push to another level. So uh, I, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I, that, that is really important. I always say that you should know a lot more about what you're talking about than what you're, what you're sharing with your audience. If you, you should be able to talk about your topic for a day or two, even though you only have an hour to present. And if you're presenting on something that you couldn't talk about for longer than 60 minutes is probably the wrong thing to be talking about. There needs to be some depth there that you you're speaking from. Well, obviously this is something that you could talk about for a lot more than the hour that we have here. So I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. This is awesome. And I wish I could pick your brain for the full day, but uh, before we let you go, I want to know, uh, or at least I know some of the stuff that you're working on. I don't know how much you could share, but, but kind of tell us some of the, the stuff you have going on uh, uh, with you and, and Brandon out there in California. Yeah. Well, in terms of fit to speak where I'm, where I am right now is I'm prioritizing working one-on-one. -on -one. I have quite a few coaches and trainers I'm working with one-on-one -on -one who are preparing for presentations, speeches, community events. And I tend to find that's the work I really enjoy doing. I'm also running a couple of online workshops that I post, but as I told you, and it's not so secret anymore, Brendan and I are expecting a baby in August at the end of August. So we, I'll be slowing down a little bit toward the end of the year. And then an exciting news, Brendan and I are planning to open up a gym here in the town we live in and no longer run our business out of our garage doing personal training. And so that will be a big project we're undertaking. Well, nothing like doing it all at once. I think I actually did yeah. the same thing though. I think I had, yeah. I opened my I did, gym. I did. I yeah. did. Really? I literally I opened did the my same thing. Yeah. Same thing. I opened my facility the same year. My son, my oldest son. Oh, was well, yeah. I need to have a separate conversation with you both then. Yeah. Dive in. Nothing like yeah. diving in head first. That's yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny before, before we close out. So, so Connor was a newborn when we signed the lease on this gym here. And then when we bought our house, our, our house that we're currently mm -hmm. in, we looked at one house. Mandy's like, I want it. We, we put in an offer. It got accepted that day. That night we had Drew. So no way, just do really? it all at once. Just do all it right. all at once. Well, yes. That makes me <laughs> yeah, feel just better. Get it done. That makes me feel better at first. I've, I've been thinking that maybe we've taken on too much, but that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, but we've been there and done that. So uh, can't thank you enough, Jenny, for your time and expertise. And want to thank everybody out there for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com. 
or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.